Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Matter, a podcast about podcasts. My name is Peter Wells, and today I'm joined by Cam and Andy from Yeah Na Passaran, which is a, a fascinating podcast that has been going for a, a year now, but for the last couple of years has been the voice of discovering kind of fascism on community radio down here in Melbourne. Cam and Andrew, first of all, say hi so people can recognize whose voice is whose. Hi, this is Cam. This is Andy. Thank you, lads. Um, all right, so let's jump into it. First of all, uh, explain to me the name because it's a wonderful, um, it's a wonderful play on words. There, oh, you go ahead, Andy. Oh well, I was going to let you, Cam, because Cam actually developed the name, and um, yeah, it combines, I guess, um, "No Pasaran," which was the slogan that was, uh, I guess, popularized during the course of the Spanish Civil War, and it was to indicate that fascism would not triumph. Unfortunately, it did. Yeah, nah, I guess adds a, a kind of Australian element where it also reflects our kind of um, our attempt to incorporate humour and our use of uh, ridicule as a tool of political subversion. So, yeah, nah, pass around. That's the smart answer. I guess the little more basic thing is that our old show was called Squatters and Unwaged Workers Airwaves. And so I thought I'd come up with something that was a little easier to explain to guests and I've managed to fail completely. <laughs> Uh, well, at least you've got, uh, you know, good uh, SEO, I, I, I would imagine. <laughs> That's true. So so your work is primarily about looking at kind of the, these fascist movements that unfortunately are still with us and still uh, sometimes being uh, elevated in, in our current climate. I, I want to ask, when looking at this stuff, it's sometimes hard to spot the difference between a keyboard warrior and someone who is um, about to do something really awful. Uh, are there any signs that you think people can be looking for to see, you know, who's just an idiot and who's actually uh, forming a movement? Well, there's certainly lots of idiots online. Um, dangerous idiots are a little more difficult to determine because there's such a volume of material. And, um, you know, if you go onto Facebook and look for expressions of racial hatred, you'll spend the rest of your life examining it. So one kind of, it, it, it is a difficult task. One rule of thumb I apply is, is the person that's making this statement, do they hit, have a history of making these statements and are they connected to organised ongoing projects? That's that's one clue. Um, and I, when I look at this kind of thing, I try and concentrate upon those who are, who seem to be the more rational, um, the more committed and the more militant. And those people generally have longer histories, which it's possible to excavate. Mm. And it's through that you can kind of determine which individuals are kind of key uh, propagators of uh, racial hatred and and related doctrines. And uh, so, what are some of the most dangerous groups uh, in Australia that you you think you've you've discovered? Well, 
I mean, you know, there's kind of the ordinary run-of-the-mill racism that permeates, you know, social media and the rest. I think, for me, one of the key moments recently was the emergence of Reclaim Australia in 2015. Mm. And I view that through the prism of there being many years previously of all sorts of um, racist and xenophobic uh, discourse taking place. Reclaim Australia was the moment when the thousands, many thousands of people who are attracted to that sort of thing uh, decided to take to the streets for the first time in many years. And during that period, um, there were thousands of people uh, who, you know, assembled on the streets to, um, you know, essentially demand that the government remove Muslims from society and so on and so forth. Um, following that, after Reclaim kind of folded for various reasons, there was a core um, component of the most uh, committed, and they formed other organisations which have eventually spun off uh, more radical or more extremist groups like the Lad Society and the National Socialist Network and, mm-hmm. and various other groups. And I guess, um, you know, so what's happened is there's been a kind of refinement of that ideology and what you're left with is a small number of groups spread across the country who've adopted quite explicitly anti-Semitic and anti-Muslim politics and who have, uh, you know, in some cases um, described themselves as neo-Nazi. So in terms of that um, re-emergence of ideologies that may have been considered previously confined to the dustbin of history, there's been a a minor revival in that. And along with that, I think that the national trend needs to be compared to international trends where, especially in the United States, but also uh, Brazil and Poland and various other countries, there's been a re-emergence of uh, right-wing extremism. And along with that, there's been a whole series of uh, atrocities. I think, and and I guess more recently, uh, the Christchurch killer, I think, has put the dangers of this kind of ideology and this kind of uh, movement uh, very much on the map. Yeah, absolutely. And so so when you said that uh, Reclaim Australia was kind of, uh, I, I remember the, the kind of the figurehead of, of that organisation was banned from Facebook. So you, you're saying that that didn't really help, that, that the, the group just kind of splintered off into smaller groups? Well, it's, it's a long story and there's a number of different personalities. Um, the, the person who um, I think is most recognised as being or was the face of Reclaim was a fellow known as uh, Sherman Burgess. Um, he was uh, removed from uh, Facebook and Twitter and I think even YouTube uh, and has re-emerged on TikTok uh, as a kind of fitness instructor and, uh, you know, um, ideological trainer for teenagers. Um, so, you know, pump iron and read mine camp is what the message essentially boils down to, but he and others like him and groups, there's been a kind of slow and sporadic uh, shift on the part of the major corporations like Facebook and Twitter and so on where when these individuals have been identified as constituting some kind of uh, danger, they've been removed. So they've, they've moved on to other platforms. So you'll find those kinds of groups and individuals thriving on uh, Gab and Parler and Telegram and a whole range of sites that have kind of developed more or less explicitly to cater for this kind of market. And so they're still there. It's just that their audience is uh, much reduced. And the other consequence of that is that some have kind of, um, in a sense, dropped off, but others have become, uh, in a sense, more extreme. There's no longer any need necessarily for them to temper their message. So they're being much more explicit about their political commitments, which 
is good and bad. It, it's it's bad in the sense that obviously these uh, doctrines I think are very objectionable. Uh, it's good in the sense that they've been, in a sense, um, forced to remove their mask and let everybody know exactly where they're coming from. What is it about uh, the the wellness and the fitness and the <laughs> mixed with fascism idea? Is it, is it just that these people are complete narcissists? Is it something about like staring at the self? What do you think that is? Hmm. <laughs> this is something we've discussed on the show a bit, especially in terms of the wellness industry and sort of the merging with the far right that we've seen, especially since COVID has hit. Mm. Uh, I think there's a lot going on. There's all of these concepts of purity uh, in the wellness space that uh, fit perfectly into this sort of Nazi Nazi space. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, yeah, there is an element of narcissism. But, I mean, these are all things that the Nazis were talking about as well. Mm. Yeah, fair fair point. I think also there's a, you know, uh, fascism generally has a kind of cult of the body um, which they they want to embody these politics both politically but in an aesthetic fashion and in terms of their physicality. And also in terms of the kind of those who've been elevated to positions of authority within the extreme right, they're operating within an attention economy. And so what they when they pose for the camera, yeah, of course, it, it feeds their own narcissism and they are, many of them, like terribly malignant narcissists. But... Um, it, it acts as a point of attraction, and especially for, I guess, younger men in particular, they look at some of these figures and to them they embody the kind of man that they want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've got big muscles and you're big and intimidating, that's who they want to be. They want to uh, stamp you know, themselves and, and mark their place in the world, and they think they can do this through, in a sense, various forms of uh, bullying and threats and intimidation and, uh, you know, looking the part helps. Fair enough. And have you ever feared for your own safety when you've talked about some of these people and and I I assume ridiculed some of these people um, for, you know, everything that they deserve to be ridiculed about? Have you you ever worried yourself? Uh, Yeah, (laughs) they're they're not big fans of us, to be honest, (laughs) (laughs) to put it lightly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So no live shows planned? No, uh, we do, we don't do any of our shows live. Um, everything's pre-recorded, and yeah, we. I mean, people have come looking for us physically. So, oh my god, really? So, so in, in what kind of way? Oh, like coming to the radio station. Holy shit! Uh, and and so, is there a kind of security presence these days, or what, like how do you cope with that? Uh, we we are just very careful about what we reveal online. There's no photos of us on the internet uh, at all. So, yeah, we just uh, take precautions. There's, in my case, there's been about a dozen or so different individuals who over the past 10 to 15 years have have, um, been misidentified as myself. Hmm. And um, in general, in that case, what we'll do, or I have done on several occasions, is have those people on the show so that they're on the show and they're talking to Cam and I and it becomes or it's intended to make clear uh, that we're different people. Mm-hmm. So those people should be uh, left alone. So, And I also kind of monitor that sort of thing. And if I come across materials, I do periodically. Just the other week I sent an email to someone who had, uh, who some people think uh, is me and mm-hmm. they're not. Um, and that it, it's usually 
you know, it, it's difficult. Again, it, going back to your question about, you know, the people who are posting all sorts of nonsense online, it can be difficult, difficult to determine whether or not someone who says, I'm going to kill you and I know who you are and so on and so forth, you know, is that person really serious? Mm-hmm. Um, generally speaking, I'll just assume for the, you know, as a precautionary measure that perhaps they are. And so I'll alert people to other people to that uh, situation and they have been able to institute various um, security protocols which are meant to ensure that they're less likely to be attacked. But certainly there's, um, it could, I mean, also because we've been doing it so long and I think it's, you know, in some ways it's a backhanded compliment. Uh, our, our podcasting and other efforts have actually had a disruptive effect. Uh, the people we're writing and talking about are very resentful of that and want to shut us up, uh, but to date they haven't been able to. And so how do you find that these kind of people or these groups, do you, do you have a bunch of uh, fake Facebook accounts that you, you know, sign up uh, to, to these groups under? Uh, I, I do have a, a Facebook account that I mainly use for uh, QAnon stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. a, lo- a lot of the stuff I am relying on uh, the research of other people, thankfully, because some of it is really quite dire to read. I couldn't do it myself. Mm-hmm. There's a kind of a, a, broader network that's evolved over the years of uh, various individuals who, uh, many of whom are public, who do dive into these worlds and and come back with uh, treasures occasionally. So, um, and and that's kind of, I guess, one of the outcomes of working on this subject over time. People listen, people read, um, they have something to contribute and so they'll make contact. And that's also the case with people who are having uh, um, doubts about their participation, who want to get out, Mm -hmm. who are are no longer convinced of this stuff, and they'll also, you know, sometimes share information. But all that sort of thing, you know, that takes place uh, in a non-public fashion in order to protect people's identity and and keep them secure. Yeah, I can only imagine um, how how disturbing it must be if you did deep dive into some of these groups and to, you know, there's one thing to um, know that these discussions are happening out there on a, on a theoretical basis, but to actually see it uh, in real time must be a little bit disturbing at times. I think it's quite disturbing because the the content is disturbing in and of itself, but also, I mean, just the normality of it to these people can be quite bracing, I suppose. Uh, where you know you're talking about people of color and you know LGBTQ people and women in these subhuman terms, which is shocking enough, but the the fact that it's so normal to them, I think, is sometimes a little bit off putting or quite off putting. Mm. I mean, I'm I'm kind of a bit inured to a lot of that material, but the thing I do sometimes find disturbing is, say, in the wake of the Christchurch massacre, is reading comments online from. Uh, you know, little old ladies who uh, otherwise talk about, you know, the lovely meal they had at their cafe and their love of flowers and so on and so forth, also uh, cheering on uh, his efforts. And it is precisely the fact that this is coming from people who are otherwise not especially politically engaged or don't appear to be. Um, and it's it's so incongruous from the, the, the other content that they share online mm. and it makes you wonder you know, <laughs> whether the sweet old lady harbours, you know, genocidal impulses or something. <laughs> but at the same time, it kind mm. of uh, speaks to, I guess, the, the kind of or underscores the fact that there is actually kind of a receptive audience for some of these 
uh, more most violent expressions. And the question I ask myself in that context is, you know, this person doesn't appear to be pathological, but there's some profound failure on their part to identify with the victims of this awful violence. And I wonder what's going on that's prevented them from developing that kind of, you know, basic human empathy. Mm. And for those moments where you do, uh, we'll get to Q&A in a second, because of course that is so fascinating. Um, and but what kind of ads do you see after you've, you've oh, like, do you just do the whole thing in, in incognito and then um, wipe your hands of it? Or do you actually get to see some of the, the, the you know, the groups and suggestions and things uh, when you are poking around and researching? I do. Facebook has improved significantly, but it used to be the case that you could like just even one sort of qanon page or one sort of right-wing group, and it would say, here's 10 incredibly violent other groups that you might want to join. And I don't think that was especially helpful for society. Mm. They seem to have <laughs> cleaned that up a little bit. What I sort of find weird is that uh, the, the ads I get are like, I think they're the sort of normal. I get weird normie ads, basically. <laughs> uh, I, I, that just always strikes me as quite strange when I'm looking at like, all right, here's you know, someone talking about how the president's going to throw Hillary Clinton into Gitmo and then there's just like an ad for the PlayStation or something that always throws me a little bit. So fascists have hobbies too. (laughs) Jesus. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, okay, well, let's move on to QAnon then, because it is so easy when you first hear about QAnon to laugh about it and dismiss it. And uh, I know that you know, that, that is changing now. People are less, um, uh, less able to just kind of laugh off this, this crazy conspiracy theory. But um, what, what on earth is going on there? And how different is the QAnon of Australia versus the QAnon of its origins? This is something that we've looked at a little bit on the show. Uh, QAnon in Australia, it's a slightly different beast because we don't have that thing where people are that invested in Donald Trump, but uh, for whatever reason, we do have a bunch of people who've become heavily invested in him for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, QAnon in Australia sort of merged a little bit with our local, I guess what, we sort of skipped over the JFK juniors coming back to save the world. <laughs> um, Sorry, that's that's my fault. <laughs> Conti- please please <laughs> explain. Uh, oh, that's just a... There's this idea that JFK Jr. never really died. And I think there's an actual guy that they've identified as being JFK Jr. And that he's going to come back at some point and everything will kick off. But uh, I think that guy sort of leans into it a bit as well. But um, we sort of skipped over all of the stuff where when it started, it was this thing where Donald Trump wasn't really colluding with the Russians. There was no Russia gate. In fact, he was working secretly with uh, Mueller to bring down Hillary Clinton. 
And so it was this weird sort of thing that fit into all of that and it was very much focused on Donald Trump and later they brought all of this pedophile stuff into it. We sort of, I think we skipped all of that first part and just went straight to the pedophile gear where right. it sort of merged with like these local pedophile elite conspiracy theories that uh, were already happening here for whatever reason. And so it's all very much around saving the children yeah, and stuff yeah. here rather, rather than being necessarily about politics. And it is remarkable um, how, how the followers of Q can ignore just, you know, prediction that didn't happen after prediction that didn't happen. Um, what do you put that down to? How, how do these people continue to go, yeah, nah, it's fine. <laughs> it's, it's still going to happen. I think it's the sort of cognitive dissonance that's sort of required of being in any cult. It's, you know, this is not a new phenomenon, I guess, of uh, cults making predictions that are not coming true and the, the people sort of finding a way to square the circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're just continuing in a long tradition of that. Yeah. I think it's also a testament to human ingenuity. There's been numerous predictions and they've failed to come true. And then the task becomes, it's kind of like, uh, you know, if you understand Q to be in some respects a game, you've come across a level boss and you need to overcome that level boss, which is the obvious discrepancy between the prediction and the reality. And if you're skilled enough and you can pride yourself on this, you can overcome this obstacle and carry on. Mm. Um, and it is also a, um, an opportunity to express your uh, conviction and your commitment. Those who are... You know, less committed will fall by the wayside. Mm. Those who are, you know, the true believers are given an opportunity to reconfirm their commitment precisely through failing to address these obvious, you know, problems. And, and yeah, as Cam said, it, it's not, um, it, it's a characteristic of most cults. Um, I think the, the, the interesting thing about QAnon also is the ways in which it um, draws in people who aren't, aware of the history of these sorts of ideas and conspiracy theories generally, or the ways in which you'll find various kind of attenuated forms of, uh, you know, the protocols of the elders of Zion emerging in some, on some level. Mm-hmm. And for the more determinedly far right, um, if, you, if you can get people to begin to believe that there's, you know, this globalist conspiracy, it makes it that much more, it puts them in a position of being much more able to shift the conversation towards their particular target, which is, you know, the Jew. Um, And it's quite dangerous in that sense. So this, and I mean, you know, and and they're fascinating in general. I mean, I I love conspiracy theories because they're so crazy and it's just, and I do wonder and and look with some wonderment at the kinds of, um, you know, things that people are creating uh, under this umbrella. And um, yeah, so it's both um, fascinating and horrifying, but I think the horror only comes through when you begin to see people in the States and elsewhere who are possessed by this ideology begin to, you know, go to the pizza restaurant and try and find the children and all this sort of thing. Um, and in those contexts, uh, especially when, uh, you know, vulnerable people are exposed uh, to this sort of material, um, it can actually result in quite, um, you know, dreadful actions. That's a beautiful way of thinking about it. That makes so much sense to me that, you know, that these these moments of reality are just boss levels that you have to compete against and, and figure out. And I guess in some ways as well, if you do that, you get a chance of being, you know, the superstar of the day. You get to be the, the cue that everyone gets to look at and go, oh, he figured it, figured it out. Um, so that's really fascinating in itself. 
the biggest boss level they've just encountered is Trump's loss. How are they dealing with that? Uh, <laughs> sort of this uh, thing that we were discussing before about cognitive dissonance has definitely kicked in. I guess part of the thing about QAnon is that they have constructed a completely alternate reality. So whereas you might think that Joe Biden has won, actually the election's still very much continuing in the Q world uh, with all of these insane lawsuits that I don't see having much of a chance of success. They're very much still part, you know, they still have pieces on the board as far as they're concerned. And you've seen like some of the QAnon theories have reached through, you know, they've breached the, the Q barrier and gotten into, I guess, the mainstream or Fox News, as it were. And some of them have reached Trump Ooh. himself. Stuff talking about Dominion and Hammer and Scorecard, these conspiracy theories about uh, votes being changed. Uh, a lot of them had their, you know, beginnings in the QAnon world and now they've spread out through right-wing media. Hmm, that's incredible. Um, and, and how much do you think that Facebook and Twitter are culpable uh, <laughs> for, for the rise of Q? Uh, quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, not, yes. ju- not just Facebook and Twitter, YouTube as well, yeah. All of these. Yeah, I know. Everyone forgets YouTube. It's, I mean, it's a, the thing is it is so ridiculous. So it, it's tough to identify it as being a problem until it's a really big problem, I guess. I see that as being, you know, something of an excuse. But it was clear that it was a bigger problem than they were treating it a long time ago. And it's only quite recently that they've sort of started to crack down. And companies like YouTube knew that they had a problem. I think there was a story that uh, when they were looking at, I guess, the breakdowns of content on YouTube and they said, you know, if we want it, you know, we've got gaming, we've got sports, we've got news. And one YouTube engineer found, you know, we could have a whole column on this chart just devoted to far-right content, basically. And that should have been a a klaxon, you know, a warning side. Uh, But it really wasn't because the stuff drives engagement. And QAnon content gets clicks. And that's sort of what all of these companies were focused on getting, and it didn't really matter what the cost of those clicks was. You know, there's been uh, ample reportage on the reportage on the failures of uh, Facebook and YouTube and other, you know, major sites to um, address this question. And, but again, I mean, they have a commercial interest in allowing for it because precisely because it drives engagement. And the more clicks you get, um, you know, the more attention, the bigger the market you have to sell to advertisers and other uh, data collectors. So they're in a bit of a bind. I think probably where um, measures have been uh, put in place to address this sort of content, it's it's mostly been in the European context. And one of the reasons for that is because Europe has introduced uh, laws which penalise companies for carrying fake news and so on and so forth. So, but that's not the case, obviously, across the world. So, you know, there's no real incentive for these mm. companies to, to, to address it uh, other than the occasional public outcry. There'll be a media release saying, yes, we're addressing this. This happened in the wake of Christchurch. It has some effect. Um, but essentially by the time that these uh, companies act, it's usually, you know, long after the horse is bolted. Yeah. And is there something at least... I don't know. Is is there some kind of uh, value in them at least being on 
vaguely public sites like Twitter and Facebook, where obviously they're always in their own kind of private groups and things like that. But um, is it better for them to at least be there rather than, say, a Telegram or a Parler, uh, where uh, they can be a little bit more crazy and a little bit more unhinged and and possibly encrypted and, and harder to find? I guess that's sort of the eternal question when it comes to content moderation and, you know, the whether there's value in deplatforming. I think my sort of take is that there is value in deplatforming from these major places because, like you say, they are harder to find on these places. And so you do have people who are already in, who are now in this ecosystem, and you might not necessarily be able to see what they're talking about, but you also don't have, you know, the little old lady from the cafe engaging Mm. with this content and becoming radicalised or, you know, a teenager stumbling across this stuff you've actually got to go and hunt it down rather than it just being you know pushed into your face by these tech companies Mm. and how do these accounts actually grow so quickly are they being pushed by bots and you know is is there a um a group of accounts coordinating to to lift these things up there has been some reporting i think by nbc in the us that was about you know the initial growth of QAnon that showed that there was this sort of concerted effort behind the scenes by a few different YouTubers to push it a little bit. And some of those people were also amplified a little bit by Russian bots, it seems. Although it doesn't seem like it was a thing where the Russians were saying, let's you know, make QAnon a thing. It was rather, they were already pushing misinformation from these people. And so it just sort of fell into that. Uh, I think people sometimes overplay the the role of bots in this stuff. A lot of you know bot detection by people is based on these these old outdated ideas that you know if someone's got a lot of numbers in their name, they're definitely a bot. That's just sort of how people show up on Twitter these days, especially older people. Uh, yep. So I, th- there are bots out there, but I, I think it's easy to overstate their their influence. But th- there are these sort of vast algorithmic networks that promote this stuff and. It's controversial content and gets promoted by the algorithm, and that's why it sort of grows the way it does. It is possible for very small networks acting in concert on social media platforms to boost messages. And I think it's you'll find that in the Australian context where you had, if you look at campaigns run by, um, you know, Fraser Anning and prior to him, Clive Palmer, um, if you already have an established presence on Facebook or elsewhere and you're coordinating with other users, you can work together to boost content. And providing it hits the mark, um, and this is the skill of, um, you know, I guess online ship posting, it can very rapidly uh, escalate and assume almost exponential proportions. So there's vulnerabilities or um, weaknesses or whatever, however you want to describe it in the technology that enables relatively small groups of people to have an outside influence and to appear much greater than they they actually are in number. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Cam and Andy, for taking the time to talk to me and and, and also keeping an eye on these uh, people so I don't... (laughs) No worries. Yeah, thanks, Peter. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, see ya. Bye-bye. See ya. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 